A speaker's corner is an area where open air public speaking, debate and discussion are allowed. The original and best known example is in the north east corner of Hyde Park in London. It's an opportunity to demonstrate freedom of speech as anyone can turn up unannounced and talk on almost any subject, although always at the risk of being heckled by regulars. The corner was frequented by Karl Marx, Vladimir Lenin, George Orwell, and the list goes on. And every Sunday at Speaker's Corner, you have the right to go and proclaim whatever you want to complain, proclaim about. It could be true, could be a pack of lies, it doesn't really matter. As long as you're 15 centimetres off the ground, you have total freedom of speech and you can just let fly. So naturally enough, this attracts any number of religious characters. And you can wander the length of Speaker's Corner and listen to every conceivable worldview under the sun. On a sunny day, the speakers will get up on their soapbox and point to the wonder of creation and say, look what the God Ram has done. A few metres down, look what Allah has done. Further few metres down, look what I have made. Everyone's looking at the same sun, shining on the same blades of grass, listening to the same birds. And yet whatever is creation is saying, humanity seems to be confused. There are as many gods and spiritualities and philosophies as there are people. Over the next five weeks, we're looking at the book of Colossians, which could have been written to our world full of speakers' corners. While the entire Bible points us to Jesus, this book of Colossians gives us at its core the centrality and the message of the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Colossians is a book of four chapters, 95 verses in total. And about half of those verses reference Jesus. 15 times we see the phrase in Christ or something similar. And more than just pointing to Jesus as the centre, in Colossians we get a clear idea of how Jesus should affect our lives. So the letter to the Colossians was written to a young church learning how to follow Jesus in this pluralistic society. Christians were facing pressure from both outside and inside the church to conform their beliefs to those of their neighbours and, and to make cult Christianity more culturally palatable. In the first century, the church at Colossae, which, Colossae, which is really modern day Turkey, was under attack from false teachers, seeking to persuade them that the person and the work of Jesus Christ was neither supreme nor sufficient for their salvation and human flourishing. So being concerned for a church that he'd never visited before, Paul wrote this book to make sure the church had a clear view of who Jesus is because that would lead, he believed, to an overflow of heartfelt obedience to him, which in turn would influence their region and ultimately the world for God's glory. So Colossians combines this both deep theological truth with practical wisdom for Christian living that continually points us to Jesus Christ as the centre. And so we'll see in these first two chapters, um, it draws out significant truths that ground us in the true person of Jesus. And, and then the last two chapters focus on the implications of living for Jesus. If Jesus is who Paul says he is in chapters one and two, then the most obvious thing would be for us to live as we're instructed in chapters three and four. So Paul didn't personally go to Colossae, but we know the impact of his ministry and we know that it would have reached that town. A church was born. The people are doing good. In fact, in verse four, I think it is, um, it says, since we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of the love that you have for all the saints. In other words, Paul's excited about this group of believers. Why? Because he's heard of them and two things have been said about them. 
First, their faith in Jesus Christ is noticeable and noteworthy. And secondly, their love for the saints in the church, likely both in Colossae, in nearby towns and really probably giving to the global cause of the gospel. That, that's known, it's made its way to Paul. And one point we're going to see again and again in Colossians is this pairing of actions with our faith in Jesus Christ. Our faith, the Colossians faith, it cannot consist only of a mental acknowledgement of God and His truths. It must include a life that demonstrates that we know, that we love and that we treasure those truths. Believing in gravity keeps us from jumping off cliffs, doesn't it? Without parachutes or bungees at least. And believing in the properties of liquid keeps us from trying to walk through the lake without realising we will get wet. Well, so too belief in Jesus leads us to a life of love in action. So we read in chapter one that the people are following Jesus. They're growing in their faith. But there's a problem in Colossae and that's why this letter was written. And we kind of need to know why Paul wrote it to really understand it and what it can mean for us too today. He wrote it because there was a threat to the early church. They'd, they'd heard about the gospel. They were growing in their faith. They knew about the grace that was offered. But some other guys had come into the story and they were threatening that pure faith they had in Jesus. And let's not get historical today and think we're looking way back to something that we've passed on from. Be careful someone doesn't come into your story today and start threatening your pure faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Colossians isn't just about something that happened to one group of people at one time. Colossians is also God's way of speaking to you and to me. So what was the threat? Well, there were people telling them two things. Firstly, Jesus is less than God. So the deity of Jesus, if you like, was under attack. Jesus is fine, but, but he's less than God. He may be better than some of the angels, but not all of them. And he's definitely not equal to Almighty God. And the second threat was that there was this secret knowledge or people were telling them that there was this secret knowledge attainable only to a select few of faith. So at home today, 95% of you are going to get Jesus 101, but 5% are going to get the secret, the, the special code, the secret knowledge of spiritual things, too high for the average Joe to understand. There was supposed to be this or purported to be this secret mystery that only a few people knew about. And it's amazing to me that even in our day, some people are still drawn to that idea. There must be more. There must be something extra. So Paul heard the rumours that were infiltrating the church that, that was doing so well. And so he writes to them to address these threats, to help them see Jesus as supreme and Jesus as sufficient in every way in their lives. To help us, in fact, see Christ as supreme and as sufficient in every way in our lives. So why should we be interested in this book? Well, number one, in this book, we figure out, if we don't know already, we figure out who Jesus is. And number two, because the two basic existential questions of life are answered right in this letter to the church at Colossae, the big philosophical questions, what am I talking about? Well, basically, firstly, who am I? Basic philosophy 101. And two, why am I here? That's what people want to know. It's what I want to know. It's about the meaning of life and my purpose within it. And both are answered in this letter. So Paul responds to these threats. Number one, who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is everything. Jesus isn't less than anything. In chapter one, verse, four, verse 15, Paul says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So not only is he not less than God, Jesus is the same as God. God. 
In the Gospels, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father because I and the Father are one. He is the image of the invisible God. It might be difficult to picture God. He's invisible. It's difficult to picture someone who's invisible. And that's not just a conceptual difficulty. It's not just that he'd be a difficult pictionary clue. In the Bible, seeing God is caught up with the idea of knowing him. To see him is to know him and and to be known by him. God is unknown and, and invisible apart from Jesus. But if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus and get to know Jesus. This is what prevents us from making God into our image. In our minds, we tend, don't we, to fashion God after our own thoughts and desires. We try to squeeze him into a mould and project something onto him that he is not. Paul goes on, verse 16, For by Jesus all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. So when we see the beauty of the mountains or the ocean or the rugged coastline or the stars at night, this isn't just a display of power from the heavenly giant, although God is powerful. But the universe is a gift of love from the Father to His Son. And it's not just that the universe is to the Son. The universe has come through the Son, through Jesus. So this helps us answer the questions, who am I and why am I here? You are here because you were created by Jesus for Jesus. That's our two existential questions. This is everything we need to know about about us right here. Because you are one of those all things. All things were created through Jesus for Jesus. So Julie, you were created by Jesus for Jesus. John, you were created by Jesus for Jesus. That's how you got created And that's why you got created. That's who you are. And that's why you're here by Jesus, for Jesus. When we take that that everything that's listed there in Colossians 1 verse 16, and we realise that that includes our life, it tells us who we are. All things, you were created through Him and for Him. So you're the unique, special, miraculous creation of Jesus Himself, every one of us. And our, inherit, or our value, sorry, is not, um, is not something extra. It's inherent in our creation. No job, no accomplishment, no other person, no perceived success, no money can ever trump what is already true about us. We are valuable because we were created by Jesus and we were created for Him. So your gifting or your skills may lead to accounting or sculpture or law or carpentry or politics or full-time ministry. But your purpose is to know God, to be in a relationship with God, to worship God, to give praise to Him and to reflect back to Him all the greatness He's put inside of you. Verse 17, He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. Maybe you've seen this meme, life status, currently holding it all together with a bobby pin. That really gets me. When we've been camping and we've had issues with our marquee or numerous other items um, of equipment, we've been known to say all things are held together with duct tape. Bobby pins, duct tapes. I don't know what it is for you, but maybe in this season of uncertainty and confusion, 
ambiguity, frustration. Maybe you don't feel like you're doing a great job of holding it together. Well, today, as we start looking at this book, I hope you're encouraged to see Jesus as the centre. You'll be encouraged to to put Jesus as your centre because I'm giving away the ultimate point of this book right up front in our messages today. This book is all about the fact that in Jesus, all things hold together. Listen to verses 15 to 17 from the message. Paul says, We look at this son and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this son and see God's original purpose in everything he created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up until this moment. He holds it all together. As the agent of creation, He is also the one who gives coherence to all its parts. If this weren't the case, chaos would take over and an orderly cosmos causing, like would take over, sorry, this orderly cosmos and it would cause disintegration. In verse 18, Paul goes on and he reminds us, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Now, we've got to be careful. We can't imagine firstborn as in order of birth. Although, because Jesus wasn't created, he wasn't birthed. Paul affirms that just a few sentences later. But rather, he is the firstborn in that he has the preeminence. You ever wonder why the firstborn was such an important picture throughout the Old Testament? Well, it wasn't that God hated the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth born. As a firstborn, I like to think that by nature, it just makes me more important. But rather, it was a picture, a picture of prominence, first importance. Jesus is preeminent, as Paul says in two more verses time, the highest, the most important, the quintessential, the only image of God. That's why all things were created by Jesus. Things visible and invisible, everything you and I can see in nature this morning and all the things that are operating, forces, galaxies, in motion, spiritual beings. These were all made through Him and in Him. So it really is all about Jesus. He created everything. All authority is His. He's the head. He's before and He holds everything together including the church. He is the head of the church. Verse 19, For Paul was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him, talking about Jesus again, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, that just can seem poetic if you don't know why Paul wrote it. But when we get when we really get the threat to the church at Colossae, when we understand what Paul is doing, he's making it sharp and clear. Jesus is nothing less than Almighty God. And not only did Jesus create you for His purposes, but Jesus shed His blood to redeem you. All that is Jesus holds us together today. Creation, redemption, reconciling our relationship with God. That's what holds us together. Every moment, every season, every challenge, every joy, Jesus holds us together. So not only is Jesus everything, but everything Jesus is, 
He is in you. Do you get that? Not only is Jesus everything, but, but everything He is, He is in you. Jesus in me. There's, there's no hidden mystery. It, it has been revealed in your life. Jesus is in us. Everything we need. No additional extra power or purpose. He's in us. Everything Jesus is, He is in us. And that changes everything. When, when that's my focus, when I acknowledge that, when my life reflects that in practice, which I, as I said, we'll look at in chapters three and four, it changes me and it changes the world. God has made Himself known through Jesus. There's, there's no new revelation coming, no secret that will be revealed. Jesus isn't a secret. He, in fact, He's made God known and He lives in us. We have everything we need. Christ is enough. Some people say it's Jesus and me. Well, really, it's not Jesus and me. It's, it's Jesus in me. It's not Jesus and Rebecca. Oh, wow, they make a powerful team. No, it's Jesus in Rebecca. It's not about me at all. So Jesus is everything. And Jesus changes everything. Jesus is in me, changing everything. Think about that. Jesus in you changes everything. Well, over the next few weeks, we're going to look more practically at what that looks like, how that change takes place, the, the vision, the outworking of that change. But I wonder today whether you can see that in your life. Can you see that Jesus changes everything? Because don't miss the point. This letter was written by Paul while he was shackled to a wall in a prison for his faith. In that prison, chained to a wall, he writes that Christ is supreme and Christ is sufficient. He is enough. And He, Jesus, not, not the chains, not the jailer, Jesus is holding all things together for Paul. There's no circumstance in life that can stop Almighty God from accomplish, accomplishing through our lives exactly what He intends to accomplish. My prayer is that you will know Jesus and so know God more intimately and more accurately as you allow Him to live in you and continue His work of transformation in you. Would you reflect with me on these words as the ensemble sings this morning? Christ is enough for me. Everything I need is in you.